0: This is Lisa DeLay, and you are listening to the Spark My Muse podcast. My guest today is Charlotte Donlan, author of The Great Belonging, How Loneliness Leads Us to Each Other. This book has been selected for the Spark My Muse book club for the December reading. Charlotte will be on hand January 6th and meet with us to discuss this book in greater detail. As you read the book, you can get questions ready for her that you would like to ask. To attend the book club, go to crowdcast.io forward slash Lisa Colon DeLay. That's L-I-S-A-C-O-L-O-N-D-E-L-A-Y. And register. That's the Spark My Muse book club that meets every first Wednesday of the month. The book for November is Reconnect, Spiritual Restoration from Digital Distraction by Ed Czeski. This book has been featured in a Soul School episode and with Ed in a guest episode. Check the show notes for those links, and please join us December 2nd when Ed will speak with us in a group, and we'll ask him questions about the book, and he will guide us through. Welcome to Spark My Muse, everybody. Today, my guest is Charlotte Donlin, who has written a book, The Great Belonging, How Loneliness Leads Us to Each Other. Thank you so much, Charlotte, for being my guest today.
1: Oh, I'm glad to be here. Thanks so much for having me.
0: I was really looking forward to having you on the program and speaking about this book. And I just want to mention to listeners that you are a writer, a spiritual director, and the host of Hope for the Lonely podcast, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. Let's talk a little bit about how your book is laid out. It's sort of different than how typical books might be laid out. There's five parts. Do you mind talking about that a little bit? When we were um,
1: trying to figure out the best way to lay out the information, I jumped around between a few different kind of options. And this was the one that felt most natural to me. So the first section is belonging to ourselves. The second section is belonging to others. The third section is belonging to our places. The fourth section is belonging through art. And the last section is belonging to God. You know, I could have started with belonging to God. And I do mention that in some of the early chapters, how our belonging to God is really what Underscores our ability to belong to ourselves and to other people. And then um, with regard to our places and art, I believe, you know, some things in life help deepen our belongings. And for me, um, places and art are two of those things that help me belong to myself, others, and God. But mm-hmm. I think there are also a lot of other things out there that can deepen our belongings. Um, mm-hmm. But I couldn't write a book. With a million pages. <laughs> so I had to focus it. And um, having this structure like early on in the process helped me kind of focus, um, you know, what I wanted to explore in this book.
0: Yeah. And I really enjoyed that. They're maybe two pages or three pages long, if, if you want to even call them chapters or little sections. And actually, that is bite size enough that you can sort of use it almost like a meditation. But in the back, on page 169, you have meditations for belonging. I'm just going to read the author's note here that you have. It says, I have included these meditations for individuals or groups of people to be read alone or with others. You can read them as you read the book, or you can also return to them when you might need encouragement while exploring your loneliness and belonging. I hope you take your time and create space to sit with your loneliness and your belonging while considering what God might have for you may God meet you as you sorrow, remember, receive, celebrate, and hope. And I wanted to draw some attention to what you're doing there because I make this mistake all the time. I'll start reading the book from the front and then realize there's something wonderful and juicy in the back that I didn't see till it was too late. And so uh, these are really interesting. Can you talk a little bit about what you put together back there and why?
1: Yes, um when I was writing the book, it didn't feel right to have like a huge section of notes and discussion questions and things like that. Um there are a few questions on one page that can apply to any of the chapters and but what I really wanted was for the book to help people explore their own loneliness and belonging and this felt like a good way to kind of invite people into that sort of exploration. And, um, there are quotes and prayers, and I think a few hymns, there's a meditation for sitting in solitude. There's a meditation for going to a museum. There's one for meeting a friend for coffee, um, one for taking a walk outside. And the last one is, a meditation toward hope. So I think these could um, definitely stand alone and be used even in a small group setting or for a personal time of prayer. Um, Yeah, I just, I really wanted people to have resources that they can use um, and that would help people notice God in their lives and in the world around them.
0: One of the things that that struck me about your book, um, we all know that loneliness is an epidemic. It's been reported as an epidemic, but people are self reporting. I'm lonelier than ever. Um, a whole generation of of people that are younger in their teens and twenties too are also saying, you know, I have no one that I can call at two in the morning if I'm if I'm really hurting or if I really need help. I don't feel like I can do that. I'm lonely, and it's even. I think, doubled or tripled down with the COVID pandemic. And what you did was really interesting because you, instead of moving forward and continuing to try to fill that loneliness, you started to ask questions. And I'm sure that was part of the process of the podcast and and writing the book. But you talk about something that is deeper than passing loneliness. It's this core Loneliness, this is a thread through the book, but it begins, I believe, on page eight. And perhaps you could talk a little bit about what do you mean by core loneliness?
1: Yeah. So when I first started to, um, you know, ask questions and read about loneliness and when I first put words around the fact that one thing I've struggled with my whole life is actually loneliness. Um, one thing I read was this little book um by Dr. Tom Varney. It's V A R N E Y, I think. And in that book, he um defines core loneliness as something that we have deep inside of us. Um, it's a lingering loneliness that we experience even while we have great relationships with people and while we have intimacy with God, but it's this sense of being separated from what we were made for. So, you know, it's like we will always have this sort of core loneliness until we're in heaven. And I think some people um, notice that core loneliness more And unfortunately, I'm one of those people. Um, I think this is one of the biggest, one of my biggest struggles with loneliness. I think this is the the kind of loneliness that I feel most deeply. And um, yeah, knowing that I will experience this sort of loneliness my whole life isn't, you know, very reassuring, but it also just helps me know that you know, I'm made for a different place ultimately and um I will feel separated from my full self and from who I am in Christ. Um and that, that is just a form of the loneliness that I feel.
0: I think I've personally experienced lots of different periods of intense loneliness that felt root level, that felt core and like a thread that went through my life as well as my father's life and I think you talk about that in the book about your mother and you wonder is it generational is it passed on is this like a thing that um, you explore that in your book in really interesting ways I think I've found for myself though through different ways of healing and that a lot of times my loneliness is a kind of self-estrangement too not understanding or believing that I'm worthy company of myself Mm -hmm. And that's all part of the process. It doesn't mean like once you discover that, oh, it's my loneliness is gone.
1: (laughs) Right, right. And I think that's, yeah, one reason I really wanted to have a a section about belonging to ourselves. Um, I think what you just said um, relates to that. And, you know, I think we could all come up with different definitions of what it means to belong to ourselves. And I don't really define that in the book, I don't think. But um, there is this sense of being at home in ourselves that I think definitely affects other ways that we're lonely um, throughout our lives.
0: And you talk about a specific instance where it was reflected in a certain person, but it's such a common thing where there's an attempt to fix loneliness. It's a, it's a part that isn't approached as, part of how we are human, but in a sense, let's quick fix this and let, let's make things all right. And you, on page 41, talk about um, being worried that you would be rejected and, and struggling and exploring loneliness. And you say, loneliness wasn't my problem, fear was. So I acknowledged that the thick blanket of fright covering me and threw it aside. When I let go of fear, the pang of isolation subsided too. So loneliness is also uh, disguising other things sometimes too.
1: Yes. Yes. And um, that's one reason why I think it's so important for us to kind of know what makes us lonely and what makes us feel isolated or different or disconnected from the people around us. Um, That situation that I wrote about um, came up when a speaker spoke to um, the staff at the church I was going to at the time. And someone sent me the audio file of his talk and um, it wasn't a public file or anything. And, you know, I was listening and, and in the question and answer section, someone asked about loneliness and he, he just started talking for maybe 15 minutes about loneliness and he, he didn't really know what he was talking about and he just kind of made stuff up along the way. And So like that was very frustrating because I feel like theologians um, can do that sometimes instead of just saying, you know, I don't really know that much about loneliness, but here are a few things I think about it. He went straight into it like he was some kind of expert on loneliness. And then everything he said was like the opposite of what I believe about loneliness. So, you know, he connected it to mental health in a way that was you know, overreaching, um, basically saying that loneliness is a mental illness, which is not true. I mean, we can, we can feel lonely when we're struggling with a mental illness.
0: That, that he would basically be saying Jesus was mentally ill.
1: Right. <laughs> right, And he didn't mention anything about Jesus. So it was just a very, like, disturbing hmm. thing to hear <laughs> from someone that a lot of people respect. And, um, hmm. and the more I, you know i finished listening to it and i felt like an like an outcast afterward because he had been speaking mm-hmm. to like all these people in my church who i love and respect and mm-hmm. and they all knew i was working on a book about loneliness and the way he's mm. he spoke about it just made me feel like i was a bad person you know yeah. and um the the more i kind of listened to what was happening and sat with it and asked questions and prayed about it i did realize um, it wasn't loneliness that was affecting me in that moment. It was fear of rejection of these people oh. who had heard him talk about loneliness in a way that I disagree with. but I thought like they would hear him and you know believe him and then cast me aside mm-hmm. um and Of course, that didn't happen. You know <laughs> I was able to talk to a few people about that conversation about the talk that he gave, and um and they assured me that they didn't think that was what was going on with me. So yeah.
0: it's also, if you haven't, if a person hasn't experienced any root level loneliness, maybe it's connected with other things like a, abandonment or lived experience, and a person's just going to approach it from a bullet points kind of propositional ideas. That's never going to make much sense to people who are actually experiencing it. He just might not be a lonely person because he has his books, and right? <laughs> and stuff. But for somebody who does struggle with it in very real isolating ways, what he's saying isn't going to make any sense. It's it is going to be upsetting because it's extra isolating. Then it was really interesting to me that you realized in that moment, I'm I'm feeling worse, but actually now I'm I'm also feeling fear of rejection too. It's compounding, but it's compounding differently and bringing out other things. I thought that was a really interesting piece.
1: Yeah. And I think loneliness can show us a lot about ourselves, not just that, oh, I feel lonely right now. And, um, you know, we're complex beings (laughs) with a lot going on inside of our hearts and minds and souls. And, um, I don't, think there are any just kind of black and white rules about loneliness, um, Mm -hmm. which I think is clear in the book. Um, Mm -hmm. But I do think it's valuable to explore it and talk about it and, um, you know, think about ways that we belong, even when we do feel lonely. Um, And I think I think all of those things can be helpful.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, there's a part in the book that I'm glad you included, because it includes a kind of strange paradox that people might not expect to sort of sneaks up on you. But as we talk about it, I just wanted to make mention for anybody listening who has younger children, we're going to be talking about intimacy and sex. And so this might be time to send the kids to play in another room or use earphones. I wanted to talk about some really important things that you speak of in the chapter 17 called Together But Separate And you talk about sex and loneliness, intimacy and loneliness, and we often get the idea that intimacy or sex or those types of close relationships, uh, whether they're very physical ones or or just even very close emotional ones, we might get a sense that those deepest relationships will cure or change our loneliness. And we can still feel terribly lonely even in the midst of them, even while having sex or just having had it. (laughs) or being married, mm-hmm. we might think, oh, isn't loneliness something that happens to single people? Or single people might think, well, once I get married, thank God I won't be lonely anymore, only to find out later, wow, I'm still lonely. I don't feel totally known. And I, you know, there's a lot going on here. So I appreciate that you have this in there because this is a paradox. And I think people beat themselves up over that they're experiencing this still, yet they're sleeping right next to somebody. They shouldn't be lonely. Could you approach some of those things that you mentioned in in those couple of chapters?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, So I first bring up sex in a chapter called When We Didn't Have Sex. And it's just a snapshot of um, one night in my life soon after my husband and I got married. And then the chapter after that is called together, but separate. And it's more of an exploration of my marriage, um, and how my husband and I interact in ways that help me feel like I belong to him and in ways that make me still feel lonely. And then there's another chapter after that, um, called when we do have sex and that one just kind of takes another kind of angle with regard to, um, sex and loneliness. And, um, Yeah, I do think it's important for people who are married or have a partner to recognize that one human is never going to be able to fill our belonging gaps, you know, to fill our loneliness gaps with belonging in a way that we don't ever feel lonely anymore. And I mean, I think there are many reasons for that. Um, One is that loneliness is just complex. And I believe there are different types of loneliness. And um, our experiences of loneliness can change based on our circumstances or our season of life. Or, you know, if we had a fight with someone, um, even if it's not our partner, like if I have a fight with my best friend, like that might affect how I engage with my husband, you know, and it's all very fluid. And um, while sex and intimacy will um, make us feel more connected to our partners, it I don't think it can ever erase loneliness. And um, I think if we look at it as something that should erase loneliness, we're going to be set up for huge disappointment in life or maybe even shame because we think it should take it all away. Um, so I realized early on in my marriage that having sex with my husband wouldn't take away what I now know is called core loneliness. You know, I didn't have words for this back then. Um I do think intimacy and sex, um, you know, even emotional intimacy and you know, long conversations over a glass of wine um um can help us feel like we belong and maybe even help us forget about our different types of loneliness um but it will always come creeping back in and and I think one thing that's important is just to normalize this you know to to talk about it and to mention it and um you know talk about it with our partners and you know, writing this book gave me an opportunity to talk to my husband about some of these things. And I really appreciate his willingness for me to write about it. Um, you know, I, I was worried when he read the manuscript mm. and, um, he was like, sure, fine. That's great. You can talk about it. Um, sex and loneliness could probably be a whole book, um, written by someone with way more knowledge and training than I have. Um, So if anyone out there wants to write that book, we will read it. Um, (laughs) Research will be key. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, the third time or the third chapter that's kind of connected to this, where I talk about how, you know, even in the middle of having sex or right afterwards, sometimes we feel most separated or very separate from um, our partners. And, you know, I talk a little bit about, um, you know, the little death that, you know, people say is experienced, um, during sex and, you know, it's just, I don't really solve any of this. I just kind of bring it up and describe my experiences and some of my thoughts about it, hoping that it will encourage other people to think more about how these things intersect in their own lives and in their own relationships.
0: Well, it's, it's really good that you do that because especially in our culture, sex is put on a pedestal as kind of like, don't you want to be happy in the most incredible way ever and never. <laughs> Once you have sex, especially when you, when you, when we're talking about anything about purity culture or anything like that in a Christian mm-hmm. context, we're like, just wait because you'll get to open the most amazing present ever. And then you mm-hmm. do open your present and you're like, huh. So sometimes, sometimes this doesn't seem as great because I don't, Feel as connected or am I, what am I doing wrong? What's something terrible is, must be happening to me or wrong with me because I thought we'd feel more connected. And now I feel sort of miles apart because we're on different wavelengths. I mean, other times it can be fine, but to just think, oh, you mean other people sometimes don't feel extra connected during or after that, that's okay. And yeah, it means you're human and we're, we're so emotionally diverse And at different places that, yeah, normalizing it and just saying, if you struggle with loneliness, you'll still struggle with loneliness despite having an active sex life or uh, even a fun sex life. It doesn't Mm -hmm. mean emotionally. Your loneliness is like, well, I don't have loneliness anymore. This has been great.
1: Right. Or it's a symptom of something else that's going on. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I had, I guess when I first got married a long time ago, like 22 years ago, I think. Yeah. Several of our friends got married at the same time. And so, you know, we were all talking about marriage and things like that. And, you know, one night, me and a few other women were talking. We had all been married about a year or so. And they, felt so, um, most of them, I would say three quarters of them felt so isolated from their husbands because their husbands weren't opening up to them about, you know, what's happening inside of them about meaningful kind of things with, you know, whether their faith or even work situations or, um, other relationships that they were doing, they just felt very distant from an emotional standpoint and um, it was interesting to me to hear about that. I mean, my husband is a vogal, uh, verbal processor and we talk all the time about all kinds of things. And in that moment, I was like, wow, um, a lot of people don't have this. And, you know, women are are suffering because their husbands aren't opening up to them. And, you know, I don't know if women are more apt to do that. I'm sure some women do the same thing, but in this situation, it was the husbands that were more closed off. And, you know, since then, I think they were able to go to therapy and, you know, encourage their husbands to open up more and stuff. But, um, I, you know, sex is just one element of the relationship. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if someone isn't, having conversations with you or isn't um respecting your work or your vocation or um things like that. Like I think that will add to our loneliness too. So mm-hmm. while I want to normalize loneliness, I also want to also say it could also be a symptom that there is something wrong in the relationship. Um mm-hmm. it's, you know, kind of like um a check engine light or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this light comes on and let's you know, is this core loneliness? Is it that we haven't, you know, had a date in six months because of a pandemic? Um or, you know, is it because we haven't had sex in six months because of the pandemic? You know, what what is happening with this loneliness I feel with my partner? And maybe it has nothing to do with him, um but it's just this package of loneliness that that Mm -hmm. I'm holding right now that is obviously affecting my relationships so right
0: well i wanted to go over to page 100 101 where you talk about this idea that i've heard a lot of and i've actually i think you you mentioned in your book and i've also gained from it too is kind of giving out what you need if you my mom used to say if you don't um if you want a friend be one kind of thing and Mm -hmm. it's kind of like if you don't want to be lonely reach out. Um, but also you mentioned that just because you reach out doesn't mean you're going to get what you need. And I thought that was an, an interesting point, how you came to grips with that, how you came to accept that, but that you found still that there is something helpful with, with offering that to other people, what you kind of wish for yourself. Do you think you could explain that a little bit on page, especially 101, you say, um, Giving others what I most want doesn't guarantee I will receive anything in return, but it does ease my loneliness. The next time I feel lonely, I want to remember to give someone else what I want most. Lord help me remember.
1: I mean, almost 20 years ago, Mm -hmm. um, we were a part of a new church plant here in Birmingham, Alabama. And um, the church was very focused on community and building community and we didn't have Sunday school, but we had small groups and, um, Mm -hmm. but even so, like in these small groups, I wanted more, I wanted more vulnerability. I wanted more, um, and really what I wanted was the permission to be vulnerable now that I think about it. Um, Mm. and when others are vulnerable, you know, it kind of welcomes us into that space. So, Mm and that was actually one way I applied this lesson. So uh, a theologian um, was in town doing a talk with some of the leadership at this church and I approached him during a break and I, I told him some of my desires about friendship. And he said, well, you know, I want you to be those things to other people.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: um, it kind of transformed how I view a lot of different things. Um when I noticed my desires, I began to um, think about ways I could offer, offer those things to other people. So mm-hmm. I began to be more vulnerable in conversations. I began to um, be honest about how hard it is to be a mom, um, which was something, you know, when I was a new mom, I didn't have many friends that were talking about the difficult parts of motherhood, it was all the great happy parts. So of course that made me feel lonely, you know? Um, and then, you know, as I would take meals to other women who had just had babies, I would kind of open that door for the conversation of Mm. how it's exhausting, isn't it? And, um, Mm. we love them, but they also wear us out and things like that. And, and as I began to Notice opportunities to give others what I would love to receive. Um, it did make me feel more connected to people. And I mm. don't know really how that works. I think it's, you know, mysterious in a way. And I'm not saying um, be 100% selfless 100% of the time and like be this sacrificial person. That's not mm. what I'm saying at all. I just think that there is an element of, um, like a corporate purpose with our individual desires. And I don't have all of that worked out in my mind or, you know, (laughs) how to explain that. I do think God gives us our desires and maybe it's not just for our own benefit or our own um, satisfaction or our own flourishing. Maybe our desires are also meant to help us connect with others and, and give to others and think about ways we can love and minister to other people.
0: Well, you're, I think you're onto a great point that, that people have covered in, in theological circles, not the really stuffy theological circles, but like practical (laughs) theology, where ministry, there is a mutuality in ministry. And we, we tend to minister to people out of our own wounds, whether we know it or not like the wounded healer that Henry Nowen Mm -hmm. talks about Mm -hmm. Um, there's something very beautiful in that and it's it seems to work that way it seems that we develop the compassion um, out of our own suffering for the for a certain group or certain kind of thing but then in return out of that service we become also healed but it's Sometimes it, and sometimes we do it, you know, to to find what we need. Um, but even better if we can do it with not the expectation to find what we need, but but just kind of a. Uh, let's see what you're going to do, God. And then I think we do find all kinds of returns and blessings. Uh, mm-hmm. It's really beautiful. When I I went to seminary and there were all these pastors and counselors getting trained. And they all had these incredibly moving stories about the people in their life that reached out or the trauma in their life that led them to want to serve other people. And it was remarkable to me how many of them had really, really suffered. And I thought, well, that's not an accident. These these stats are way too high. <laughs> <You know? laughs> the percentage of people in the counseling track who stood up who had been themselves abused was enormous. And I. Can imagine that they didn't want other people to suffer, and really, that's a that's a kind of a segue for uh, something in part five. I was hoping to explore a little bit. Uh, there's belonging through art, and I think this is a beautiful section. On page one twenty nine, you talk about art helping people through death and poetry, uh, in particular. There's a section on page one twenty nine that says after his father died, poet Kevin Young searched for a poetry collection about death to help him navigate his new reality. When he couldn't find what he needed, he decided to create an anthology himself. In an interview with National Public Radio, Young explained why poetry is vital when people we love die. He described how poets and their words help people explore their feelings and find language for the grief associated with death. Poems are able to, to, quote, capture a moment, a feeling, and perhaps a fleeting feeling, unquote, for those who are full of sorrow and sadness, quote, since I lost you, I am silence haunted, unquote, says one of the poems written by D. H. Lawrence in Young's collection, quote, sounds wave their little wings a moment, and then in weariness settle on the flood that soundless swings, unquote. And I bring this up because as you wrote this back in the day, um, you didn't have the loss of your father, which has come since and because of the COVID pandemic. And I was wondering how you see what you've written now in light of that experience.
1: I don't remember exactly when I wrote this chapter. It was at least a year ago. <laughs> yeah, my father died almost three months ago, um, on August 6th. And for me, um, I did not seek a poem when my father died. I, Mm -hmm. you know, I've been reading poetry for several years and poems have often been prayers for me um, in different ways, you know, kind of like how the Psalms give us um, a language and words for prayer when we don't really know what to pray. Poetry Mm -hmm. does the same thing for me, even poems that aren't necessarily spiritual or, um, you know, even written by Christians. One of my favorite poems is written by a Jewish feminist, and um, you know, it made me weep the first time I heard it, and for reasons that I'm sure weren't necessarily on her mind when she wrote the poem, which is one reason I love poetry and why poetry mm. can be magical. When my dad died, I had to avoid poetry for several weeks, grieving deeply because of the circumstances surrounding his death and you know, I wasn't able to go down there and be with him in person. And, you know, it was just a very traumatic experience. And there were a lot of things to grieve. And I am really great at grieving. Like I don't need help at <laughs> grieving loss. Like um, I did go several years of my life without knowing how to grieve. And then um, when my daughter was born, she was a baby and I went to my first therapy session and he taught me how to grieve Um, and Mm. I will always be grateful for him giving me permission to look at things that were broken and things that I had lost and, and enter into sorrow and lament over Mm. those things. So, Mm. so I'm great at grieving. I needed to avoid poems because I didn't want anything to take me deeper than I already was. Mm -hmm. But then a couple weeks ago, I pulled out a book by Scott Cairns, it's a a literary term that I should know how to pronounce. However, whatever. Um, And in that book of poems is a poem that he wrote about his father and his father's death. And Mm. it just broke me open. Mm. You know, my grief is much more normal now. It's, you know, it comes and it goes. And when it comes, I ride the wave Mm. and let it, you know cry if that's part of what i need to do. And um reading this poem was it was really nice because it reminded me that i'm not the only person who has experienced this sort of loss and mm. i mean i know it's obvious a lot of people lose their parents like most of us will lose a parent um before we die. Um and it's an awful club to join when it happens. Um but when we know others are there and that others have experienced similar pain and heartbreak, it makes us feel a little bit less alone in our grief. So, mm-hmm. what well, I think, while many people are trying to find um, language for what they're experiencing when they're grieving mm-hmm. um, someone's death, I didn't really need that at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but now it's it's been nice to. Just be reminded that I'm a part of this larger, you know, human <laughs> human thing where people die, and um, you know it doesn't make my father's death any um, like easier to to handle or to um, receive, but it does make me feel a little less alone. Um, Mm -hmm. and also there are poems that make me cry for other reasons, um, not just death. And, you know, sometimes I cry or am moved by a poem that I don't even really know what it's about. (laughs) I mean, there are several poems that I read that I don't know what the what the writer's Mm -hmm. talking about, or it just doesn't connect with me for some reason, but they can um still, you know, move me emotionally and even just in ways that are hard to put um, words around.
0: Yeah, it, they kind of exist in this in between place, uh, not totally words, but not totally emotions. And then in those gap places, you can find you know you can find yourself, or you can find some solid ground or solace. And I I know what you mean. Uh, when you're devastated, you don't want poetry, you don't want food, you don't want, you don't want anything, <laughs> <laughs> but um, but then after that, there is a kind of solace you can find within poetry, but art also. I like the idea of interrogating our loneliness or asking it questions or sitting with it instead of just being worried that it's happening or,
1: <laughs> or feeling
0: <laughs> broken or, or just, you know, like right. ruminating. Like, why do, the, why do I have to feel this way? And I think about um, C.S. Lewis and, and he talks a lot about longing and... Um, and I think that's related, you know, loneliness, longing, and then this kind of gap that's within us that is this longing for joy, put the points off the map to something that we are anticipating. Um, there's a, a lot of, I saw a lot of threads and similarities that you were writing about that seems to, to reflect some of those themes in uh, Lewis's work, especially the Surprised by Joy book that he writes, but.
1: Oh, wow. That's interesting because I haven't really read much C.S. Lewis. And I know I'm probably not allowed to say that as a Christian, but um, I really haven't read much of his work.
0: <laughs> because I'm reminded of him as I read your stuff, I think you're going to read it and go, Ooh. <laughs> oh,
1: good. OK,
0: I feel kindred to it, you know. We talked a little bit about this prior, but on page 152, you talk about Jesus's loneliness. And I I don't know that we give that too much thought that there would have been so many times Jesus would have felt misunderstood, lonely. Um, his followers are kind of crappy friends and they, they really misunderstood him almost at every single turn. Um, that would have been very isolating. And to know that Jesus sympathizes with us, empathizes with us in our loneliness can be a great comfort and can be a new insight for people. Do you want to speak to that at all?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I first bring up, uh, the loneliness of Jesus in chapter three. Um, when I mentioned that my spiritual director encouraged me to Mm -hmm. consider his loneliness with you know, in light of my own loneliness and, um, Of course, I hadn't thought about it yet, but that's why I have a spiritual director. So she can help me think about things that I might not have thought about. Um, but when I did consider Jesus's loneliness and, you know, just the idea that he was man and God on earth with all of these people who were not man and God or women and God. Mm. And, you know, another way that I really struggle with loneliness is feeling very different from people. Um, in my circles, or you know, anyone, I just I, I'm not put into a box very easily, and sometimes I wish I could be because it would just mm. be a lot easier to get along in life. Um, mm. But like Jesus didn't fit in any boxes, you know yeah. the the amount of differentness and being othered that I feel is mm. just a fraction of what he experienced, and knowing that that he walked that. Um, does give me comfort. And, Mm. you know, I know people say, you know, Jesus is familiar with everything hard that we've experienced. And that doesn't always feel true to me. Um, But with regard to this loneliness, it very much does. And I'm Mm. thankful for that. Um, And, you know, there are dozens of ways that jesus was othered and um forced into a sort of loneliness um throughout his life and death and and then when you think about that we're his body you know i'm like so is he lonely now since Mm. the whole body isn't all together you know what i mean like Mm. since it hasn't been fulfilled um in ways that it will be fulfilled and complete in heaven. I don't know the answer to that question, um, mm. but I imagine like there might be a little piece missing or, or with regard to time and space, maybe um, our trying Lord is already experiencing in some ways what will be fulfilled later. So I just kind of follow these little trails of curiosity mm-hmm. and um, see where they lead.
0: Yeah, well it's interesting because we're told that or that Jesus ministers and prays for us. Well, if he's doing that, he's I would imagine not cold when he's doing it. He's he's empathizing and he's thinking of of us as he's doing it. You know, he's thinking, "I know and the spirit is interceding for us." And you we think, "Well, if that's true, just like I would be interceding for a friend who's lonely, that would hurt that would hurt my heart." You mm-hmm. could have the joy of the knowledge of things to come that all tears will be wiped away and we'll, we'll have lots of hugs later. That'll fill up that love tank, (laughs) but you can also Mm -hmm. have that intention with the, with the present for that person right now, knowing it's hard for them and that, that hurts. Um, I think Mm -hmm. that's an interesting Mm -hmm. way of, you know, wondering about Jesus, that Jesus can sympathize and empathize with us. I, that's a that's an interesting one. There could be a that's another book potentially. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Before I get to the final question, I wanted to ask you. I wanted to see if you could read one of the entries that you might pick out for readers to get a sense of what they're in for when they pick up your book. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm going to read chapter
1: 14. Um, it's called Our Five Senses. It's tempting to think of belonging and loneliness as primarily emotional experiences, but we are whole beings who inhabit this world in our physical bodies. We hold loneliness in tense necks and crossed arms. We hold belonging in confident postures and friendly smiles. We might think of the embodiment of loneliness only when considering its pathologies. Medical studies show chronic feelings of isolation can have a negative effect on one's physical health. Loneliness can contribute to heart disease, type 2 diabetes, arthritis, and more. Lonely people are also twice as likely to develop Alzheimer's disease. Isolation increases the production of stress hormones, harms sleep, and impairs cognitive abilities. These effects of loneliness produce chronic inflammation, which lowers immunity to the degree that lonely people can experience worse symptoms from the common cold. The chronic stress of loneliness can also age the body more quickly and cause extensive damage to one's overall well being. But if our bodies can register the trauma of loneliness, they can also console us during loneliness and help find its antidotes. Specifically, our senses can console. Our, ab- our body's abilities to see, smell, hear, taste, and touch assist us as we process our emotions so our minds don't have to do all of the work. The five senses help us notice and respond to the world around us. They form a bridge between the external and the internal, providing connection points that enable us to remember who we were, recognize who we are, and dream about who we want to become. Our senses help us belong to our various selves, held together by the past, present, and future. With our sense of smell, we take in aromas that remind us of certain seasons or specific moments when we felt safe and sure of who we were. When it rains, the smell reminds me of the freedom of my childhood and how I would return outside after a summer shower to play in the park across the street from my house or search for tadpoles in a nearby stream. Decades later, when I sit on my balcony on a drizzly afternoon, the scent of rain settles and soothes me. With our sense of hearing, we listen to songs that rekindle feelings from years ago or a week ago when we felt more secure in our identities. I hear a song by the band REM and think of high school and the hours and hours I spent my spent by myself in my bedroom, singing along happily or choreographing silly dances to show my friends the next time we were together. With our sense of taste, we savor food that makes us more aware of our desires and cravings. I grab a bowl out of my kitchen cabinet and add a cup or so of plain Greek yogurt. I sprinkle it with sea salt and za'atar and drizzle it with extra virgin olive oil. Every nourishing bite of this meal which I make often when I don't have to worry about what anyone else wants or needs, brings me home to myself. Sometimes I think of loneliness as a sort of mindfulness bell calling me to query my senses. If I'm feeling lonely in a particular moment, I ask myself, what am I seeing, tasting, touching, hearing, and smelling? Are there connections between my senses and this particular feeling of loneliness? How can I engage my senses so I can have a more significant connection to myself and this present moment? An example, my children's experience of drinking hot chocolate. It doesn't snow much where we live, maybe once every year or two, but whenever it snows, I make homemade hot chocolate for them to drink after they're done playing outside. They strip off their soaked coats, hats, and gloves and sit down at the kitchen table Still exhilarated from the novelty of their snow adventures, they sip hot chocolate while we discuss who got hit with snowballs and how fun it was to slide down the hill by our house. Feelings of joy and connection might be associated with the sight, aroma, and taste of hot chocolate for the rest of their lives. When they are adults and feeling lonely or blue, I hope they pull out the cocoa powder, milk, sugar, and vanilla extract and make a serving or two of hot chocolate. As they sip the warm, sweet beverage and recall happy snow-filled memories, I hope they remember who they were and marvel at who they've become. I hope a comfortable belonging enfolds them, protects them from the stings of isolation, and heals their wounds of desolation.
0: That was beautiful. Thank you so much. Final thing I wanted to ask you is something that you cover on page 161. And it's a little bit of a rhetorical question, but you can answer it not rhetorically because you actually wrote the book on it. Um, Page 61 is titled Can Loneliness Be a Good Thing? And uh, it will be interesting to hear how you answer this in light of what you've written and what people can expect as they encounter this book.
1: Yeah, um, well the answer to that question or my answer to the question is yes. Loneliness can be a good thing. And I first began to think of it as something that can be a good thing when um my former therapist Gordon Bowles um mentioned it to me. Um I think it was an email, it might have been a conversation. Um but he he just said it can be a good thing because it can make us more aware of what we're experiencing, what we're feeling. Um, and like I mentioned before, it can also be a signal that something's wrong. Um, that maybe there are some things we need to address in our lives or in our relationships or even, um, in our spiritual life. Um, but I think one reason it's been good for me is it helps me feel connected to others in the blank spaces. So if we consider loneliness, as a gap, you know, there's this thing we want that we don't have. Um, when others also have that gap, like we we're connected, <laughs> like it helps us feel less alone in our loneliness. And so recognizing our loneliness actually, you know, and that's the, the title of the book is, um, or the subtitle is how loneliness leads us to each other. I, I do think it's this thing in our lives that, that it helps us um, feel more connected to other people and more connected to God. Um, and, you know, I've I mentioned a few other things in the book, um, but also, you know, talking about loneliness, being open about it has decreased the amount of power loneliness has over me. And I think that has taught me um, or reinforced, because I've kind of known this, that when we're vulnerable and honest about what we're going through or our experiences, um, it helps us feel less shame and it helps us feel, um, you know, more of a sense of flourishing in our lives. And so loneliness for me has taught me that that's a good thing, not just for loneliness, but for other things that I'm experiencing. So that, you know, loneliness has been a lesson for me and I think it can be a lesson for other people. Um, And that's, you know, I don't think I write about that in the book really, but I think that's another reason um, that loneliness or another reason why loneliness can be a good thing.
0: Mm. Uh, Yeah, I I totally agree with you. We are social creatures and loneliness can be the impetus for creating bonds and and looking for bonds and it can be something that can really plague us at the same time but it really does depend on our approach to it whether we think of loneliness as as friend or foe or a little of both Um, but the exploration of it that you've done is is really um a kind of a Testament to how something that can be a core wound or a core problem and a lifelong situation can be the the route, or you know the the um, the Stoics say the obstacle is the way um, mm-hmm. that that is actually how God creates the path. You know there is no path; the path is made by walking. That God will show you your path through your obstacle. And Mm -hmm. and in doing that, you find your friends that needed you the whole time. Uh, And that's kind of the beautiful way we're sort of knitted together, I think, in the body, but in the greater world for everybody that God loves. And so thank you so much for making this book for all of us lonely people (laughs) who, (laughs) you know, we're lonely together. It's the funniest thing, really. Right. So. Yeah. yeah. If, if a bunch of people are lonely together, there's something we can we can do about it. We can talk about it together, and it might not actually ever heal that core loneliness, but at the same time, there's camaraderie and a, a love and understanding that can happen.
1: Yeah. Yeah
0: you know, that's the, that's the healing part. It's not like you have to be like, well, once I'm healed, I've eradicated loneliness from my life. It might still be there out of this little seed, but at the same time, you can find the companionship along the road for the long haul. And I think that that's, that's a real message of hope to people, Charlotte. So thank you so much.
1: Yeah, thank you. And, you know, one thing I want to um, mention, especially here at the end is that, you know, I really do believe, that God meets us in our loneliness and um, that our longings are ultimately for our relationship with God and intimacy with God and um, noticing God's presence in our lives and noticing how God is at work in our lives. So, you know, even while our loneliness can lead us to other people, I hope that we will also remind each other that our loneliness also leads us to God, and that that's the way that we're gonna experience the most um you know consolations in in the midst of our loneliness,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and it leads us to God, and it leads us to God in other people and in all things mm-hmm. that's so beautiful. The invitation is there and god is in a sense maybe that is on purpose like yes i know the loneliness is there and and i'm here too you know i and you can see me you can see me translucent through nature through the people that i have that are bearing my image i'm right here present the idea that are we alone or not well god would say mm-hmm. <laughs> no we're not right <laughs> I'm right here yeah but we feel that you know so it's it's really interesting it's like a wound but it's a wound that God is happy to say I'm with you in in this woundedness so anyway that's yeah, yeah. before I cry I'm gonna no. <laughs> I'm gonna ask you Where can listeners find your work and your podcast? Would you like to talk a little bit about what you're doing with your podcast?
1: Sure. Yes. And um, I'll go on and tell you now. Thanks again for having me on. Uh, This has been wonderful. Um, I've really enjoyed our conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. My website is charlottedonlin.com. And um people can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Charlotte Donlin One Word. No other characters um, and there are links to my um podcasts and things from my website. um I started Hope for the Lonely about a like, I don't know maybe six months or so before I started working on this book. And um, the first several episodes are just me kind of exploring various angles of loneliness using um, some surveys, anonymous surveys that people um, responded to. And then, you know, the last several um, episodes are um, with guests who have a lot more knowledge than I do about different topics related to loneliness. And, um, you know, of course, I wish, you know, I had all these plans to do new episodes leading up to the publication of my book. But of course, you know, the pandemic, and I had some mental health issues earlier this summer, and, and my dad died. So I have not done any of those new episodes. But um, I have plans for them. And I have people I want to have on. And I'm hoping maybe after the first of the year, I can um, jump back into that. But if not, It's fine. You know, (laughs) I'm enjoying being on other people's podcasts right now. It's um, a lot less work for me to just show up and talk. Um, So, yeah.
0: My guest today is Charlotte Donlan, author of The Great Belonging, How Loneliness Leads Us to Each Other. This book has been selected for the Spark My Muse book club, For the December reading. Charlotte will be on hand January 6th and meet with us to discuss this book in greater detail. As you read the book, you can get questions ready for her that you would like to ask. To attend the book club, go to crowdcast.io forward slash Lisa Colon Delay. That's L-I-S-A-C-O-L-O-N-D-E-L-A-Y and register. That's the Spark My Muse book club that meets every first Wednesday of the month.